Welcome to the FMAN podcast, the podcast which focuses on the person doing the trading, the trader, and their interaction with the market, the impact the market has on them, and the skills, actions, and activities needed to navigate their way through the terrain of the financial markets. Today we are delighted to have Garth McKenzie on the podcast. Garth is a long-time trader, a retail trader, although he does trade some institutional money as well. He also provides an outstanding education service, one of the uh, the real and genuine education services out there. And he also hosts a brilliant podcast called Talking with Traders. Today we are talking with Garth about what drives trading success. Here are a few outstanding excerpts from the interview. That is success to me. It's effectively creating a consistent return outcome from what is an inconsistent and sometimes unpredictable market environment. One successful trade is not success. That you can do, anybody can get lucky. It's like you know, like hitting a perfect golf shot. Any of us can do that once, but can you do it shot after shot after shot? Can you string all your good shots together? Can you be consistent? And that's the thing about trading. And that I think is when it comes to considering yourself successful as a trader, I think consistency is a big word that has to come into that. Also, are you consistently doing the right things? Are you consistently keeping your losses small? Are you consistently achieving a, a risk to reward ratio on your winning trades that is bigger than you you losing on your losing trades? Big believer in that, but you know you've got to sell down to the sleeping level. If you if you're lying awake at night worrying about the market, then you're too big. And you know, I'm happy to say I sleep very well every night. I love the saying that it's, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Now, before we start, we would like to thank our podcast sponsor, the Society of Technical Analysts, the STA. The STA provide world-beating education on price action analysis techniques and have been the go-to place for pro traders and investors to learn high-level technical analysis skills for over five decades. Now, do check out their brilliant home study course, which is based off their technical analysis diploma taught annually at the London School of Economics. Listeners to the Alphamon podcast can obtain a discount on the STA home study course. To know more about this, visit alpha-mind.net. Now, on with this week's podcast. Welcome to this week's Alpha Mind podcast. We're delighted to have Garth McKenzie with us. And many of you would have heard that name. He is founder of Traders Corner. He's got a podcast that goes on similar to what we do and has a very broad audience that listens to his wisdom, a, a journey. From an early days of a broker, translating into a trader. Huge respect for him. We're delighted he's on board. But Guff, tell us more. You're, I know you're in Guildford, not in South Africa. We found that out early on. But, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, uh, thanks, Mark. Thank you for the introduction. And uh, Steve, good to be with both of you on the podcast. And an honor to be with both of you, actually. I thoroughly enjoy listening to all of these Alpha Mind podcasts. I've listened to every single one of them. And so to be asked to be a guest on your podcast really is is a great honor. Thank you very much. And it's good to be with you today. So, yeah, I'm in Guildford, just outside of London. But as you said, originally from South Africa, um, my uh, I've lived in the UK now for about two and a half years. But everything in my career before that was in South Africa. And in fact, most of my business dealings are still in South Africa with the South African market there. But moving more and more offshore in terms of my own uh, personal trading and also where I'm wanting to guide my business ultimately is more towards the offshore markets and particularly towards the US markets. In terms of what shaped your career though, I mean, we talked about, you know, 
my own career path started off more broker than than anything else. But there's but there's a real benefit in that. There's a real benefit in the fact that you become this much broader radar than than you understand the traders you face are. Traders tend to be very much on the you know, the bid and offer and the size. But as a broker, you kind of have to be their curiosity. You have to be their companion through through the space. And there's a lot of skills that that you pick up as a broker that some of the best traders I've met actually have been brokers to start with. Some yeah. of the worst brokers I've met were traders to start with and failed <laughs> and ended up trying to be brokers and that didn't go anywhere either. <laughs> so, um, it's about those early days, that, that learning journey. I know that learning is really super important for you, that continuous learning. But in those days, what were you picking up that was guiding that, that sort of uh, – you know, that decision-making process that's so necessary for trading. Yeah, so, well, well that's right. So I did start my, my career as a retail derivatives trading broker. Uh, so I went straight into the futures market in South Africa and managed to catch a nice bull market in uh, in the South African market through from 2000 and early 2000s up until the financial crisis in 2008. Um, obviously, that was a global bull market at the time, but also in South Africa, we had a very good time of it then. I mean, our, our stock market in South Africa went up about 400% over those over the uh, decade so it was a good time and uh, I, I got launched straight into the futures market be, became a futures broker and as you say it's an interesting space to play be, and, and particularly in the retail space and which is where I was I was a retail broker trading uh, broking to DIY clients who were self-guided but using us as their broker so I w- I've never been an institutional broker I've never brokered at that at that sort of high level. And I've always felt that it was probably to my benefit that I became a broker at a retail level, not an, at an institutional level, because broking to retail clients is really interesting. A, you've got a lot more clients, so therefore you've also kind of got a lot more pairs of eyes watching the market. And that that's interesting because strangely, although you're the broker and you're supposed to know what's going on, very often the clients actually also, you know, they're quite well guarded themselves and they often function or they work in interesting industries so they come with a different perspective and often they actually bring quite useful ideas to the table actually uh, i found that very interesting the other thing about retail broking is that you you learn all of the mistakes that there are to make in the trading arena um, retail traders are, are notoriously bad at trading I and mean, the statistics bear that out i know you Guys have mentioned it on your podcast many times that, you know, in excess of 90% of traders lose money. Um, and, and most of those will obviously be the retail traders. So it was very interesting to start a career with, with retail clients. Um, and I did that for the first 10 years of my career effectively. And then I was about 30 or 31 when I decided eventually that I wanted to break away from the corporate world and move away from broking and actually become a trader full-time trading my own capital and but then I also did want to still be involved with retail clients in the sense in an educational perspective and that was when I started my business which is Traders Corner and there were a couple of facets to that one was that uh, I actually managed to get a slot on the business tv network in South Africa and ran my own tv show where I traded with live capital and uh, and any of the profits that I generated each year went to charity, and I, you know, 
pleased to be able to say that I had 10 consecutive profitable years doing that and managed to donate quite a lot of money to charity over those 10 years. But also uh, built up this education business, traderscorner.co.za is, is my website. And effectively, it's a subscription service where clients come along, they can access the analysis that myself and my business partner do every day and see how we're viewing the market. But then also tap into our knowledge of of trading from an educational perspective, from a psychological perspective. And we really do try to effectively hold the client's hands and aid them in making the right trading decisions because it, this is not something that comes easily to most people, uh, hence the, the, the poor success rate. Um, so I think it's very much a case of having somebody at your at, at your side that can help you and guide you and make the right decisions, show you how to manage your risk, how to identify what a high probability trade setup looks like, uh, how to be patient, how to manage fear and greed, and all the various different aspects that it takes to to succeed at trading. Because in in reality, this is a very very difficult profession to pursue, and if you try and take it on yourself without any sort of mentorship or somebody who's actually able to show you the ropes really you're on a you're on a hiding to nothing in my opinion very interesting now if you look back at <clears throat> excuse me some of those retail type plants that were that were flowing their business through you as, as a broker um you talked about the, some of the challenges and the things that they don't pay attention to but was there one thing in particular that you guess they god almighty why aren't these guys listening why aren't they really putting the effort in was there an aspect of their you know their attitude towards trading that was clearly not there yeah well there, there is i mean the, the one most common thread that i find with retail traders is that they they don't have realistic expectations about what it means to be a trader and they don't have realistic expectations about how much work is actually involved to make a success of trading. And I think that's partly to do with people's ignorance. And I also think it's partly to do with the fact that unfortunately, the marketing that is so common in the trading industry is often misleading. You, you know, we're all familiar with these adverts where you see, you know, the guy with the Lamborghini or the helicopter parked behind him and the beautiful girl on his arm with a Colgate smile and you know this guy's a trader and and he trades from the side of his swimming pool or the beach or whatever you know and it may it's made out to be very glamorous and very easy which it really is not it's absolutely the opposite of that uh i've certainly i've never traded from the beach or beside my swimming pool ever <laughs> and i don't know any successful trader who does that um it's a, a lot of hard work and 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 blood, sweat, and tears that goes into being a successful trader. And that's the part that they don't show you on the brochure or on the on the adverts. You know, so I think people come at it with unrealistic expectations. They think that it's easy. They think that it's going to be a, an easy way to make a living. And that's not the case. You know, and I still all the time, as much as I've tried throughout my career to press this message home, uh, particularly to you know to my clients back home in South Africa, I still am frequently contacted by people who who come along and they say well i've got a, you know this pot of money it's new, usually not a lot of money but i've got some money i want to start trading i'm going to quit my job and i'm going to start trading and i need to replace my income and my immediately you know i almost get goosebumps when i hear that type of of, of idea because it's just such a terribly bad idea um 
a lot of these traders come or these wannabe traders will come undercapitalized without the requisite experience, etc. And those types of people, unfortunately, they set themselves up for failure in a very big way. Uh, and, and I can't stress that enough. You know, if you're a retail trader listening to this and you're wanting to take this on as a full-time profession, you've got to do the hard yards. You've got to You've got to become successful and proficient as a part-time trader before you should even vaguely consider uh, trying to do this full-time. And I, I speak from experience there as well, you know, Mark and, and Steve. As a, I, I mean, I'm a professional in this business. I've done it my, my whole career, pretty much half my life. But I can also say that when I made the decision at 30 years old to leave my corporate job and become a full-time trader, I thought I was experienced enough to be able to do it and that I had the right mindset and that I had the right experience and everything. And, you know, I quickly learned that I didn't, even though I'd already at that stage had 10 years of experience in the corporate world. Uh, what I didn't anticipate is just how, from a, from a mindset perspective, how much it helped me to know that I was getting a salary every month, that the bills were being paid by somebody else and, um, and also, you know, as a broker in those days, we got pretty decent quarterly bonuses and the money was flowing nicely. And, and that kind of created a backdrop for me as a trader where I had a real sort of a freedom about me. And when I was, I was broking, but I was earning all of this money and therefore my trading kind of just was so easy in those days. But I think it was because I had the right kind of background support in the sense that I was earning an income from a job and earning a pretty good income at that. The moment I stepped away from that corporate world and that corporate job, and suddenly it was me and the market, and I was starting at zero every month with the potential to go you know, below zero every month, that was quite a, quite a harsh reality to face. And it definitely took me quite a while to come around and actually inherit the right mindset you know, to adjust to that. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. They might think they've got the right capital or some experience or whatever, but you know, until you're actually thrust into the hot seat and you have to suddenly do it and it's you against the market and your livelihood at the end of the month is dependent on your ability to trade successfully and nothing else, that is tough. That is very, very tough. Hi, Garth, Steve. Hi, Steve. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, fascinating hearing hearing you say that because, it, you know, that there is a romantic notion about trading, I think, that people have, which is, like you said, first of all, the, the Lamborghini, the first-class <laughs> airline seats that they're, they're sort of sitting on the beach, putting your buy and sell orders in and then going back to sunbathing or jet skiing or whatever you do. And um, and certainly, you know, there's a lot of adverts out there which kind of pander to that uh, that as well. But you know, like most romantic notions, we, we all get. I, I can imagine if I was young, I wish I was, but if I was young again, and you know, I could easily be enticed into these somewhere. Yeah. And then I think virtually everyone has a wake up call or, or many wake up calls, and and that's when you realise that actually you're on a really challenging journey. A really yeah. hard journey, and I think the important, the most important thing in those early years is to both learn and survive, and and not even think about trying to earn an income. So I think you 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 said there's something about being a part time trader first, yes, sort of having an income 
you know, some sort of income in those early years or, or, or splitting your time between yeah. something that can produce an income and trading yes. whilst you learn and whilst you learn to survive. Yes, that's right. I mean, if, you, if, if, if you're doing some sort of other profession or some sort of other career not involved in the markets um, and you want to take on trading full-time, then yeah, absolutely. You need to try and start doing it part-time. And fortunately, the barriers to entry are very low nowadays. You can easily open an account. The transaction costs are so low. So anybody can open an account and start trading. Um, there's, and, and, you know, start to acquire the skills and invest the time and invest the money and the effort in becoming proficient as a part-time trader before you even consider becoming a full-time trader. And what I'd also say is that if you have the opportunity, and I know these opportunities are not always easy to come by, but if you do have the opportunity to join a firm or join a trading desk or something where you can be surrounded by other people who are experienced traders, I think that also is extremely helpful because this game can be very, very lonely. If you're trying to do it yourself, you're trying to trade from home or wherever the case might be, just trying to go at this all by yourself. It's a it's a tough, tough gig, and it can be a lonely journey. So, you know, you don't have to just go and trade by yourself sitting in your in your dining room at home. You know, you can, ideally, if it's possible, try and get a mentor and try and get, so try and surround yourself with other people who are successful traders and who are also going along on this journey as well. Yeah. We had this chat with Mike Bellafiore. Yes. Um, who, who spoke about the benefits of working in a prop firm. It, 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 I think it does significantly increase your odds uh, of succeeding, as does working with a mentor. And obviously, if you're in a prop firm, you work with a mentor. And there was a lot about yeah. that chat, Mark. Yeah. Mark, which do, do you recall some of those features? Oh, yeah. I think one of the fascinating things was about the, the performance that came out of them taking a Gen Z new entrant and Buddy and the Gen Z with a senior trader that are full of habit and full of, you know, full, full, full of, a, you know, a, a mindset that have been sort of skewed in a certain direction. And actually finding that the, the that that combination benefited the senior trader enormously. Um, and I had a client, much the same thing, where, where it was, you know, his brother was kind of shadow trading, but it was quite clear that his brother was a better trader than his elder brother that was the trader. Because actually his um, his mentality and his uh, agility and his nimbleness had come from the gaming environment. And he was kind of a, employing that and, and that philosophy of sort of needing lives. You know, in games you yeah. get killed, you fall up and you get back. Well, he was approaching trading in the way that it wasn't just about you know, take, taking it on, but it was also about if you get killed, what have you sort of got to get you back going quickly? And it thought that through. His elder brother hadn't. His elder brother was getting sort of, you know, um, you know, destroyed by the pain of the market. But the younger brother, the gen with that Gen Z different mindset that perhaps is alien to us as well, was bringing it into that firm at a senior level and benefiting the overall trading performance of the business. I thought that was really. It seems logical. You think, well, why hasn't that just been done anyway? Well, it's because uh, el elder guys don't normally like to be told what to do by younger guys. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and so listening to people that are that are sort of like the, uh, that are not your peers, but may have a very different mindset, it's always worth just listening to those different opinions that are out there. And I just want to drift back, and I, that's good to see the point out, just drift back to 
we spoke about you know the retail traders and of course your own trading yeah coming through. right so if, so if someone's coming in and they've decided to go part-time trader and they're you know, they're, they're doing whatever they think is, is right. And, of course, that may be a bit of guesswork. That may be because they're copying somebody else. Or they've put some thought behind it and it's uh, turned into a proper trading plan, a proper trading process. When does someone doing part-time realize that they're successful? And what does success look like? You know, because you know, that's, you know, it's not just a big trade, right? Big trade is no. not success. No, that's right. I mean, one one big trade, one successful trade is not success. If you can do, anybody can get lucky. It's like, you know, like hitting a perfect golf shot. Any of us can do that once, but can you do it shot after shot after shot? Can you string all your good shots together? Can you be consistent? And that's the thing about trading. And that I think is where one when when it comes to considering yourself successful as a trader, I think consistency is a big word that has to come into that conversation. Are you consistently profitable, but also are you consistently doing the right things? Are you consistent, consistently keeping your losses small? Are you consistently achieving a, a risk to reward ratio on your winning trades that is bigger than you, that you're losing on your losing trades? Uh, are you consistent in terms of the approach that you take to the market, the research that you do, the, the process that you're following? All of these kind of things, I think, are, are, are what I guess we would consider success or achievements in trading um so yeah it, 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 success means different things to different people and, and i think it, it, a lot of the time in a in a trading context in a financial context people think oh well trading success means you're making a lot of money it's not all about that it's it's not all just about a lot of money it's also about the lifestyle that you're able to lead around it is this do you enjoy it are you having fun do you feel challenged uh, do you wake up excited every day to do what you do? What does that mean to Garth? Say again? What does trading success mean to Garth? To me, okay, to so Garth it means, it, it means, A, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, which I do. I thoroughly enjoy it. You know, I, I'm passionate about markets. I eat, sleep, and drink the markets. I wake up very early every morning to start doing research, and I enjoy it. So I think, A, it's, um, I consider it a success because I enjoy what I'm doing. It's not a drag. I love it. Um, it's also about being consistent. And it's and, and for me, what is, is success, I guess, is looking at that profit and loss curve on your account and seeing that it's generally trending up in the right direction into the top right-hand corner of the page. It doesn't have to be going up super steep. But ideally, what I want to see is a, is a profit and loss curve that is going up in the right direction and into the top right corner of the page with relatively small drawdowns, relatively low volatility, and ultimately creating a consistent profitable return over time. That is success to me. It's effectively creating a consistent return outcome from what is an inconsistent and sometimes unpredictable market environment. That to me is, cons is, is considered success. And obviously, all of these other things that, that make up your success – the last part of it is that ultimately it should actually translate into you making money on your trading account. So, and, and I always say to my clients, that's not the, the, the end goal is obviously to make money, but what you need to do is set yourself goals that are achievable and, con and then goals that you can control, right? Because if you can control those goals, so think with, and as an example, 
my, my goals are the same every year. I want to try and strive to see if I can get more than 55% of my trades as winners. I want to try and make sure that on average, my winning trades are three times bigger than my losing trades. And generally, I also then set a, a, a goal for myself regarding patience and not overtrading. So for example, this year, my goal is actually to do 100 trades. And it doesn't sound like a lot. 100 trades is not a lot two trades a week. But at, for my personality style, that is what I find works. I, I, I'm not a day trader. I'm not, I don't want to be glued to the screen all the time. So my goal was to do 100 trades and try and do 100 trades where 55% of them are winners. And on those winners, I make three times more than I lose on my losing trades on average. And those are goals that I can control to, to a large extent. And if I can achieve those goals, then the ultimate byproduct of achieving those goals is that I'm going to make money. And that's, of course, the last goal in the chain. But if you come at it and say, well, my goal is just that you know, I want to make money. I'll, be considered, I'll consider myself successful when I'm making money. Th- that's not all that success is. There's more to it than that. It's multifaceted. So that, that's interesting because it, it sounds like you're setting parameters and, and the goals will follow from you achieving those parameters. Yes, absolutely. I, I do set parameters and I've been quite diligent about setting up a trading process and a playbook, which I know is something you're big on, Steve, the, the playbook. Uh, over the years, I've kind of figured out what works for me in terms of trading setups, what I consider high probability trading setups. And I've put them all down into a playbook, all technical analysis based. So certain setups, and it's not. This is not uh, way out rocket science kind of technical analysis. It's pretty bog standard, basic stuff: trend lines, continuation patterns, reversal patterns, uh, support and resistance, etc. It's relatively simple, standard technical analysis. But I've got a list of 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 technical setups that I scan for, and I look for them, and when I see those, I trade them, and that that is my playbook. And, and and then obviously I overlay that with risk management, money management, uh, position sizing, knowing that stop losses are in the right place, knowing that I won't lose more than 1% of my capital on an individual trade. So all of those parameters are set out and it's very strict and it's very, it's, it's fairly rigid, but although, you know, I say it's rigid, the rules are rigid, but I'm also the, the guy doing the trading. So I can be a little bit more flexible as long as I'm operating within those rules and within those guidelines. But I find that that works for me. And, and, and added to that then was this idea of, you know, do, doing 100 trades for the year, because I kind of look at it like this and I say, well, if I've got a hundred shots at goal, I want to make each of them count. And every time I take a trade, I need to look at it and say, well, you know, is this, is this setup worthy of being one of my 100 trades for the year? Or am I just winging it to try and do something because I'm bored? And I find that doing that is, uh, is it's a good discipline. It's a good process and it's helped me to not overtrade. And actually something just leading on from that slightly off topic, but something I've actually done this year, which is I've not done in years past, is I've actually put my execution terminal separate to my normal PC that I work on. So I've obviously got my normal desktop with email and internet and charts and all of that. 
that I work on. And that's my full-time PC that I work on. But I've actually, my, my trading terminal where I actually go to execute trades, I have to get up, leave my desk, walk across the room to another computer. You can actually see it behind me in the video. Uh, I have to walk across the room to that machine, sit down at a separate chair. I have to wake the computer up because it goes to sleep after a while. And I have to then execute the trade. And that whole uh, slowing down the trading process, I've actually found to be really, really helpful because it just, it's, you know, it, it stops me being impulsive. It stops me doing silly things just because I feel like I want to do something on a whim. And, and, and I guess, yeah, that's also then therefore part of that discipline, part of the process of trying to, yeah, trying to trade to a set of rules and adhere to those rules. <laughs> that's, that's great. Cause it, it feels like it puts a pause in between you thinking, oh, I better react to that, which you, yeah. or, or you just react to that. Yeah. And then getting over there and then you're like, what the hell am I doing? I, that, that's not part of my process. Yeah. Well, this is it. It's, it's, it's just, you're right. It's a pause. It slows me down. And it means that if I'm getting up there to go and execute a trade, I've got to be serious about wanting to do it. Uh, and, and I think in this day and age where we've got trading systems that are on our smartphones, we can just trade, you know, you can be literally sitting on the train or, or, or anywhere and access your trading platform through your smartphone. All of this technology is great, but it also does, it, it, it has its disadvantages as well. One of them being that it's so easy to overtrade and to make impulsive trades that probably are, are, are maybe not good trades. You can do it without thinking. So for me, it's been a very de a deliberate uh, step to actually slow myself down to, to, before I execute a trade. And as I say, that's, that, that's for me. I mean, it's not to say that this is how everybody listening to the podcast should trade because everyone has a different style and we all have different personalities. And it, it's important that you find a style of trading that works and, and is suitable to your personality. So some people out there are great at day trading. They've got fast fingers. They're able to be on the button and take advantage of those very brief opportunities that present themselves intraday during the market. And that's great. And if you're good at that, brilliant. But if you, but you need to understand what your personality type is. And if and, and, and for me personally, that sitting in front of a screen trying to scalp a couple of pennies here and there is not my style. It's not my personality type. So over the years, I've figured out what my personality type is, and it's to be a, a less active trader, but to be to trade with, you know, a very, very every trade needs to be very deliberate, and hence part of this process this year has been to actually put the put the trading execution slightly out of reach, so that I have to really be determined to make a trade if I if I'm going to make it. We will return to the podcast shortly. Just a quick reminder that listeners of the Alpha Mind podcast can obtain a discount on the STA's outstanding technical analysis home study course. Visit alpha-mind.net to find out more about this offer. Now back to the podcast. I think it's a very mindful approach to trading. I think it's a great example of, you know, just putting space between the decision-making process and the reality of hitting the button. Um, and so I think certainly... You see sportsmen do that. They create these spaces where, you know, in fact, in, in, in tennis, you know, they get the benefit of, of the, you know, the, the, the um, you know, the break in, in between games, mm. which acts as a kind of a reset. 
But actually, if you can incorporate space between your decision making, particularly when you're not day trading, you're doing more strategic trading. Yes. Yeah, the mere fact you're getting up, okay, out, out of the chair, and and you're walking, and your so your frame is kind of relaxing. You know, the whole yeah. skeletal structure is kind of just resetting. You're getting comfortable. You're probably going to de-stress yourself going over to that terminal as well. Yeah. And, and, that, and that micro moment of you know walking ten steps, you'll be less stressful than when you were sitting facing that trade. And of course, yeah. that then starts to eradicate the the stress risk of trading, where you know, the more stressed you are, the more agitated you get, the more likely to make a mistake, an error, or just do something for the hell of it. And if you can eradicate that as best you can by having this this break between decision making, choice, and actually hitting the button, I think you're proving that it. It probably has more than just trading benefit for you. Yeah, most definitely. It most definitely does. Uh, and and it's also it means that every trade has to be clearly thought out, because I don't you know, I don't walk over to the terminal just to go and do something on a whim. I've actually sat, thought about the trade, sized it up, worked out what price I'm wanting to pay, where my stop loss is going to be, what the position size needs to be, and it's all calculated beforehand. And then I go over and execute the trade. And I think exactly that, Mark, you know, it slows you down. It just gets you to pause, to think, to be more rational about what you're doing and have that distance between yourself and the market. For me, I found it to be very helpful. Have you changed your mind on those 10 steps to your workstation? No, because usually by the time I've made the decision to get up and go to the workstation, I I know what I'm going there to do. Um, and, and another thing just from that is is every trade needs to be journaled. So I'm big on journaling. Uh, I, I journal thoroughly every day before the market and after the market about what's happened, what I'm looking at, what opportunities are, are available during the day. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in it's kind of like to use your sports analogy as well. You know, you have a game plan before the game starts. Let's think about you know, rugby, we're South Africans, we're a big rugby nation. Before the game starts, before the starting whistle blows, there's a game plan. The team has, you know, they've had a team talk beforehand. They know what the game plan is. Is it a running running game or a kicking game? Uh, who's going to come on at halftime with fresh legs, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are thought out beforehand. And then once the starting whistle blows, the game is played. But a lot of the the, the the flow of the game, you know, or the ideas and the the approach needs to have been worked out beforehand. And I'm quite big on that in terms of trading as well. I like to go into every day with a game plan. So I've done my research outside of market hours. I've looked at what's going on. I've looked at opportunities. I've done various different screeners and scans on my technical analysis platform to look for opportunities. And after having gone through all of that research and done all of that, I effectively distill it all down and come up with a handful of potentially but potential trading ideas, which I'll then you know seek to execute if certain market conditions are met during the day. But it means that everything is is planned out beforehand. It's not I'm not acting on a whim. I'm not I'm not just winging it. And that works for me. That's as I say, it's, it may not be everybody's style. Uh, because we're all different and we all have different personalities. But certainly I've found that this type of trading approach works pretty well for me. 
Yeah, and of course, it's not all success, right? We're not saying that this is a constantly rosy world of, of yours, that there's going to be, no. there would have been moments, yeah. and there are going to be moments where you failed, some something went wrong, or, not, or perhaps just looking back at the ones that you can remember, you know, something that just went wrong, you know, and it became a difficult trade for you. Why did it go? Why did it go wrong? What hadn't you seen? Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's definitely not all a bed of roses, and it's. I mean, this can be a very frustrating business at times. Um, I've found over the years because I think maybe it's just gotten to do with becoming older, but wiser, and maybe having a slightly less of a aggressive streak, aggressive. Um, you know, in a in a trading context. I, I size my positions a lot smaller than what I used to when I was younger. And by virtue of that, it takes a lot of the stress away from trading. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, I was much more aggressive as a trader. And I had some very big wins, but also some incredibly big losses. And there were, there were times in my 20s where I nearly wiped myself out uh, a couple of times. Luckily, I didn't. But I mean, I came very, very close. And... I guess having done that enough times, you just learn. You don't actually want to have to live through that kind of pain and stress any longer. Uh, and also, in addition to that, you know, I'm older now. I'm, I'm 42 now, so I've got a family. I've got kids, a wife. You know, I've got more responsibilities. When I was younger and in my 20s, it was just me, nobody else to be responsible for. So I think as you evolve and as you grow, your your style of trading or your your approach to risk also needs to adjust with the stage of life that you're at. And And I find now that, I guess I, after two decades, two and a half decades of doing this, I've got a, a very strong appreciation for risk and I understand how badly wrong it can go. And for that reason, you know, I size my position such that I don't, I, I, I very rarely have sleepless nights about the market anymore. I'm a big believer in that. I can't remember who said it, but you know, you've got to sell down to the sleeping level. If you're, if you're lying awake at night worrying about the market, then you're too big. And you need to size yourself down a bit because you want to sell down to the sleeping level. And you know, I'm happy to say I sleep very well every night. But that's come with time and it's come with experience and also with a lot of scars. Because as I say, I did, I did nearly wipe myself out a couple of times earlier on in my career. <laughs> it's kind of like a rite of passage, I think, in this business, though. I, I think it is. But I, I do have a question. And I think I know the answer, but I, just, just purely theoretical. If you'd, have, if you'd have known then what you know now, do you think you'd be a lot wealthier? I, I think I would because I, it, it may have been slower and less exciting, but mm-hmm. I think I would have, I think I would have compounded steadily uh, at a at a decent clip over the years, and and I probably would be better off and more and wealthier for it now. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that that comes back to the the point Peter Brand makes often, uh, Peter Brandt, um, yes. which is that your job sometimes is to make this job as boring as possible. Mm. And, and when we're young, we love the excitement of it. Let's face yeah. it. Well, that's it. We do love the excitement. We, we're young and inexperienced, I guess, and naive. And you've got to just learn the hard lessons yourself. Um, but yeah, I mean, bo- good trading is, is boring. That's the, that is the reality. What I find where I get my kicks and I get my excitement out of trading is actually in doing the work and doing the research. You know, I, I absolutely love scanning the charts, looking for opportunities, digging around, trying to come up with ideas. 
Um, I've got a you know, pretty rigid daily routine that I follow, but also a weekend routine. I've, you know, I've said to my wife and kids every weekend, somewhere in the weekend, I want four hours to myself. Uh, they don't have to be four consecutive hours, but four hours over the weekend where I can actually go and scan the markets and do a good thorough look over the, the weekly charts and s- come up with themes and ideas and generate a bit of a picture in my head for what the re- the next week is going to look like. And I find a great deal of satisfaction. And that is, that is what gets me excited actually nowadays is doing the research, sc- scratching around, finding the opportunities. Um, you know, I liken it to, to, D- digging for diamonds, scratching around for diamonds. Again, South Af- being South African, right? We're a, a big diamond mining nation. But but I look at it and I think, well, you know, I scan the charts. There's there's a couple of thousand charts uh, of stocks available in the US. Um, you can't look at all of them all the time. But I get a great kick out of scratching around, scratching through all of those charts, looking for technical setups that m- meet my trading criteria in terms of the technical analysis setups that I'm trying to find and, and and just digging around and scratching around and finding them. And, you know, in that process, if you're scratching around looking for diamonds, you're going to, you know, you're going to dig up a lot of dirt, right. And find nothing, but you're also in, in, in that process, you're going to scratch out a couple of small diamonds, but every once in a while, you're going to dig up a big diamond. And that's the excitement for me. Is is doing the work, doing the research, and actually finding those trades that are uh, that, that that are like they jump out at you like a shining light. Diamond trades, yes. And, and you know Diamond. what? As as you first started talking about that process, then, and I, I was thinking, well, you know, th- that part of it is, for want of a better word, the sexy part of trading. You know, that that's the treasure hunt. Yes, that, that's what everyone <laughs> loves. But yeah. you also do the non-sexy stuff, and you, you know, you mentioned journaling, and you know, that's what so many people could really benefit from, but mm. they don't do. Mm. And, and you quite correctly, you know, you 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 go through your game plan every morning, you analyze it post-trade, you you do a post-match, you yes. know, and and those those you know, that's what really are the hard yards of trading. You know, the bits that aren't sexy, the risk management, the the. The planning before you put a trade on, you know, too often people just, they have the idea, they think the diamond's there and boom, they go for it without really thinking how are they going to actually get that diamond out of the ground, you know, (laughs) without putting themselves in danger, you know, and is it even viable? Is it worth going after? You know, how much risk are they putting themselves at? Yes. You know, if the chance of them dying halfway on that process, uh, (laughs) dying in, in a trading sense it is equivalent to what you'll get from the benefit of it. You know, you just see a little tip of it sticking out. And when you dig down, it's actually a tiny diamond and you've put a huge effort to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to think of all these things. That's part of your game plan. You yeah. do that. You do the non sexy stuff, yes. which is the hard yards, as you mentioned at the very beginning. Yeah. That's where people who succeed, that's what they do. And I think, Steve, I know you've talked about this on other podcasts of yours that I've listened to, but you know, it's you liken it to an athlete. Um, you know, any athlete wants to, you know, tennis player, let's say, for example, um, good tennis player. I mean, obviously, the ultimate fun is being out there on the on the court hitting the ball, right? But there's a huge amount of background work that has to go into being successful. It's time in the gym. It's you know, watching your self play, I guess, on video, looking at things, um, 
There's mental aspects to it, psychological coaching that goes into it. There's so much background stuff that happens to make a successful athlete. And it's the same with trading. You know, there's a lot of background work that needs to be done in order to be successful as a trader. You can't just pitch up there when the market opens at nine o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I'm here to trade. You know, you're you're on a hiding to nothing if you treat it like that. It's so important to do that background work. And yes, it's boring. And yes, it's you know sometimes it can be a bit of a drag, but it's vital. It's absolutely vital to do it and to and and, and this is also you know going back to what we spoke about earlier, where you know how trading so often gets dressed up to be this glamorous thing. It's not like that's not this stuff is not glamorous. Writing journals and scanning through charts and it's not glamorous and it's not something you do beside the swimming pool or on the beach you know yeah, like it, like they would have you believe yeah but by, by the time you you've heard of a, a Novak Djokovic or a Rafael Nadal or you know who's a South African rugby captain is it Khaleesi at the moment yes yeah Khaleesi yeah. Yeah. yeah you know by the time you've heard of these guys they have spent years and years working yep. on their game and doing the hard yards away yes. from the screens. And it's the same with any successful trader. The moment you see a successful trader, a truly successful trader, you think, I want to be like that. But without knowing the hard slog, the, the, the battles, the personal battles, you mm. know, the, the failures, the, the, you know, the, the, the moments where they just probably nearly gave it up yeah. that have gone into making them who that person is now. Correct. I love the saying that it's, it uh, takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true in everything. We're trading sport, you know, by the time you've the, this overnight success, there's 20 years of hard work that's gone into the getting to that point. Yeah. I, I had my first uh, professional tennis lesson yesterday. Um, okay. we're, we're near the New England club um, here and as a community uh, uh, that, uh, this sort of part of that um, club has a community business down in Rains Park, and you can just join it. And so I had this pro tennis lesson. I thought I was pretty good at tennis, and <laughs> and it's, you can you can guess that. Think about. It. I thought you, you can replicate that by saying, okay, I thought I was pretty good at trading, but I went to this pro and I and I and he, he showed me that that my racket on my on my as I was pulling back to hit a shot, was ninety my my face of my racket was ninety degrees wrong, right? <laughs> it, was, it was facing entirely the wrong way. Now, if you get a coach and a mentor that, that's been there, done it, right, and 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 comes and engages you from a trading point of view, you'll find similar things. You'll actually start to realize, Jesus Christ, I thought that was how you did it yeah and, and, and it's the same thing if you engage with someone professionally you think you've been playing for for years and years and years great tennis until they've showed you that i was 90 degrees i mean my grip was just like totally wrong the, the yeah. face of the racket was entirely the wrong direction but that's the that's the difference right that's the difference between pro and kind of what you think is a good amateur yeah and, and it's about technique it's about the subtleties and the and all these things that we've been speaking about today. But, you know, it, it is. I mean, that, that analogy, though, you know, which you said there about the professional sports, Mark, you know, it, it goes back to that bit about going into a prop firm and, and working with people and learning from people and being mentored in your early stage by people who have been there. And, you know, I go back to my early years trading 
you know, we're going back to the 80s and early 90s when, you know, it would just be a, a comment by someone near you, you know, Steve, Steve, why don't you just hold back or, you know, get out of that trade. It's just, you know, you I can see, you know, you can see by your body language that, you know, you're just holding on. You can't, you know, you're hoping now. Little things like that, mm. you know, and, and all day long, every day when you're working with people, there's little messages or there's just stuff in the ether that you're picking up on that you're well, not. Well, you've got a choice, though. The choice is do you listen to those messages? Or I, do think, you I think some speak? of it, I think there's, it's you're not really listening. Listen. It's not really you listen, but there's a lot that happens by osmosis from you just being in those environments. Yeah. You know, and I I think that's the bit people forget. Um, you know, uh, it, it's not easy. I'm not going to pretend it's easy to get into a prop firm. It's not. But again, the people I know in the going to the prop firms, you know, that they, they there is such an advantage there. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like, yeah, I, I've had some people say that I was going to go there, but I had to pay £2,000 a month in desk fees after six months. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those desk fees, they cover a lot. They cover your access to liquidity, you know, your mentoring, having a risk management around you, just being there, using their office space, yeah. having their services, having a mentor or a series of mentors, mm-hmm. you know, having that kind of osmosis experience. You know, it, it, there is so much to it. It's not easy, but, you know. Yeah, Steve, you know, I think what I would add to that is if you think about any other profession, let's say you want to become an architect or a doctor or a lawyer or, or whatever the case might be, you know, those qualifications, you go to university, you study for many, many years, you spend a lot of money in tuition fees to come out at the end of it with a skill and a qualification that you can then go out and get a decent job and earn some money. Now, trading is a little bit different in the sense that you, know, you can't really go to university and learn trading and get a degree in trading or a PhD in trading. It doesn't really exist. It's one of those professions where it's kind of learnt on the job and it's learned through experience. But one mustn't be fooled into thinking that there are shortcuts just like it's going to take you many years to become an architect and it's going to cost you a lot of money in tuition fees. It's same with trading. It's going to take you many years to become proficient as a trader. And it is also going to cost you tuition fees, be that in giving money away to the market in the form of losses or be that in the form of paying desk fees to be in a prop firm or be that in paying your money to go on courses or or, or you know, have consultations with a mentor or a coach. All of these things are, it, it's an investment in your future career as a trader. There are no shortcuts. That's the reality. That, that could almost be the title of this this episode, but uh, <laughs> maybe it'll be the subtitle, There Are No Shortcuts. But it, it is true, success at anything requires graft, hard work, persistence, time, yes. more than anything, resources. Yep. Um, survival, yep. you know, survivorship. I, I think that is so underestimated. Yep. And luck. Right a bit of luck right without time. doubt. Without a doubt, there is, you know, I think luck plays a, ro- a role in everybody's life. Um, and I can certainly consider myself lucky. I've had had a couple of opportunities fall my way in my career, which I guess you could consider were lucky. 
You know, I also like to take the view that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Um, and I think to a certain extent, you can create your own luck. But yeah, I mean, having said that, without a doubt, the luck does play a role in life and it does play a role in, in trading success to a certain extent. But I, I, yeah, certainly not to, uh, to downplay the, the role of hard work and preparation in having luck come your way. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Listen, I, I'm mindful of the time. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sort of bring this to a close or wrap this up? Not very much more from my st- side, Steve. I, I've, I've enjoyed chatting to you. I think I've got through most of what we wanted to talk about today. I hope it's been helpful. hope it's helpful for the listeners uh, and those that are out there listening to this podcast, you know, just persist, keep going. It's, uh, it's a wonderful, fun, exciting career can be very frustrating at times, but it can also be very rewarding. Uh, and ultimately, it's, it's, it was one of those professions where you can be in charge of your own destiny, which is, is very, very appealing at the end of the day, if you get it right. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a great, you know, it's, it's, it's a, if you do get there, it's a wonderful career and a wonderful job. Trying at the same time, it's never easy. I don't think, you know, anyone, any, anything that's easy to do is never going to make you a lot of money. Yes, um, which is worth worth bearing in mind, and the importance of of you know getting good education, good mentorship, and listening, you know, to to good advice is crucial. Which is why I just want to perhaps you could remind people, Garth, about your services, your Traders Corner business, your podcast services, as a great set of resources for people. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Yeah, so I mean, you can get hold of me on Twitter. I'm at Traders Corner. Um, and then my website is traderscorner.co.za. That's a South African website where uh, myself and my business partner publish our market analysis every day. It's a subscription service. And then the podcast that I run is uh, is the Talking with Traders podcast. So that's also available on any decent podcast app. You'll you'll find it there, Talking with Traders. Um, and yeah, you've been one of my guests on that actually twice, Steve. I've, I've enjoyed interviewing you. So it's been fun being on the opposite side of the microphone for this podcast. Okay, pleasure, pleasure. And and Mark, do you want to before just before you take us out, just um, uh, a quick plug for our next episode, which will be in a couple of weeks' time. And we've got a brilliant interview coming up with Linda Rashke, who is uh, one of those legends of the markets. Um, featured originally in one of the early Market Wizards books. Um, and, and by the way, this is just such a great interview and uh, I, I can't wait to sort of put that one out there for our audience. Um, but just just for now to hand you over to Mark, maybe to take us out. Well, Garth, uh, you know, so much there, particularly for those on the early part of the curve. Yeah, the, 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 lots of guidance. I love the comments, sell down to your sleeping, sleeping level. You know, the idea of risk and guest. Don't trade so much risk you can't sleep at night, you know, because mm. you got to go down with you got to be fit for the rest of your life. Getting getting no sleep is is not good news all round. And I'm sure you talked about we didn't talk much about your family and family family values, but you know, it's not just all about trading, right? That you got to find time for the the other parts of, of life as well, and have that sense of balance and, and, and purpose. So I think. Lots, lots and lots to, to, to learn, and, and we're really, really grateful. I, I want to end on something that's perhaps got nothing to do about this podcast, really, but just as a nice soundbite, given what's going on in the world. I went to see Sting in concert last night at the London Palladium. 
Now, if you ever want to see someone with presence, yeah, when Sting walks on stage, he's worth, what, 400 million bucks or something. There's a man with a bit of presence. There's a man with purpose. And the place just listens to this guy, yeah? And it, it was essentially a, a whole bunch of police tracks. It was a fantastic night. But he started off with, with a song that he's not sung for decades because he thought the Cold War had ended. And he had a cellist from Ukraine on stage. And he sung the song Russians. I just want to end this podcast with just a verse from that. So I guess I think it's it's just meaningful. Just that, you know, this podcast comes out during this event that's going on. And this one particular lyric was, and I, won't, I can't, we're not allowed to play it, was that we share the same biology, regardless of ideology. What might save us, me and you, is if the Russians love their children too. So be safe, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And, uh, yeah, look up Garth and uh, get in touch. I'm sure there'll be extra value for you as well. Thank you. Thanks, Wonderful. guys. You like that? Great, great little ending, Mark. Yeah, that's really I'm, cool. I kind of thought it was, yeah, if Sting can do it, I can do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be slightly growing up about these things because it is going on and we've probably got people that are listening in that part of the world. Sure. Um, I was, I was thinking about that song, funnily enough, the other day. He hasn't sang it for decades, he said, it's never been relevant to re-sing in a concert. It's the first, mm. first time he's, he's pulled it back out. But the fact that the, Ukraine, the cellist was Ukrainian yeah. kind of has added a bit of um, potency to it. But mm. uh, it's a lovely song. But I said we can't play it because we're probably yeah, going to Music rights. But, yeah, but giving those, putting those lyrics out there is great. That is a powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. And I think it's understanding there's a bigger thing going on. And sometimes with trading, you can be wrapped up in trading and you can be part of the news. You get so sensitive to the stuff that's going on. You're watching every ticker tape. You're doom scrolling every piece of social media. Yeah. To some extent, we have also need this conscious that there might might be some people there making money out of other people's pain. Mm-hmm. which is something that I was very aware of when we was living through the, the, the 9-11 and the 7-7s, where there were yeah. people taking advantage of volatility that was somebody else's pain. Yeah. And it kind of makes you think a little bit, you know, yeah. um, like people squeezing the oil market because it's great to squeeze it. But, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what pain is going to go through as a yeah. consequence? I've spoke to a lot of energy traders in recent weeks who have uh, made a lot of money from this volatility. And... Um, you know, it's it, it's difficult for them because they know exactly why it's happening. They know it's exactly the, the pain it's causing. On the other hand, you know, they, they work for companies, they're market makers, and, and some of them are proprietary traders. And, you know, if they were on the wrong side, they'd risk losing their job. And, and also, you know, that that is their job to make sure that they're positioned for the business correctly. So, you know, if, if they get, um, lifted, for example, they'll be running short, um, and they have to pre-position themselves to get long. And and it has been, you know, they've made a lot of money, but it has been a source of well, we haven't got much joy making this money. We know a, it's causing pain in the economy, and b, it's it, it's caused by some very unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, and they might um, part of the problem as well. You know, it's just, yeah. Well, it's it, I, you know, it's the question I. 
I, I, I had that issue in, I wasn't in Israel, well, I suppose. I felt very guilty. I made a lot of money on the day in 9-11. Yeah. You know, I just happened to be positioned the right way round. Mm. And, you know, I remember when it happened thinking, you know, just sell something because I don't want to get caught long, just in mm. case I get given by clients. Yeah. So, you know, I was in a mar- sort of semi-market making role. Right. So I just wanted to make sure I was on the right side and it made a lot of money that day. Um, but, you know, the, it felt really dirty at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I can completely get it. Yeah. And on the other hand, those guys were market makers in the oil. So, you know, they have to constantly try and be ahead of the flow because if they get lifted mm. and they get killed short, so in a, in a way, they you know, they have to be. They, they, have, to play, they have to play the game. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, that's quite philosophical, but I like that. I, I like throwing a bit of that in because it kind of is that's what that's real life, right? That sort of stuff yeah. is real life. And actually, we do have this, I guess, this increasing compassion, this increasing consciousness about our impact on others and, you know, the pain of others it's because yeah. it's a lot more visible now, right? And actually, yeah. you know, if we're siloed looking at, you know, we're kind of forgetting all this stuff, but. We need to step back every now and then and say, okay, well, you know, can I help anyone? You know, can, and actually doing things like that powers you to actually be better at performance. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the greatest performers out there in the sports world, you know, they've got a very philanthropic sort of attitude about it, and they help. Yes. I mean, yeah. Lewis Hamilton's doing lots and lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so his brand realizes that, but that's important for him. Yeah. Really important for him. Mm-hmm. And it probably translates through to a, to an elevated level of performance mm. because it's more balanced as a result. And I think balance is, is everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole thing. I love the saying that if you, what, where's my hand? Uh, if you you have to have your hand open to give and to receive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If it's like Absolutely. that, if it's like that, you know, you can't, you can't give or you can't receive. It works both ways. Absolutely. You won't hear this conversation on many other podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think I've actually. I think I, I. I think this came. Are we going to add this bit in or not? Should we have to. I'll find a way to add this. See how it feels. See how it feels. Why not? Yeah. Okay. If you. So, you know, yeah. It's important we talk about because it it's like it, it's happening whilst we're doing this stuff. So. I don't know. It was quite poignant last night. I guess thought I don't need to go on the podcast because it's. Yeah, why not? It's time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Listen, I suppose at that point we will really wrap it up now. Um, <laughs> so you get an extra few minutes, listeners out there, from that, and a, and a little add-on. Um, but anyway, just great. So look, Garth, it's been brilliant having you. It really has. Thank you, um, Steve. Thank you, Mark. You Welcome. know, and uh, we wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you, and to you too both. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening today. We do hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, we would be delighted if you could leave a nice rating and a friendly review on whichever podcast service you use. Also, be sure to subscribe so as not to miss future episodes. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, the Society of Technical Analysts. As a reminder, you can check out how to obtain a discount on their outstanding technical analysis home study course at our website, alpha-mind.net. The Alphamind Podcast is co-hosted by me, Stephen Goldstein, and Mark Randall, and brought to you by the Alphamind Project Limited. You can learn more about us and the Trader Performance Coaching and Executive Coaching and Leadership Coaching programs and services we offer, and other performance development services, which we offer to professional trading businesses and individuals in the professional and retail trading space, at our website, alpha-mind.net. 
We hope you enjoyed this week. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, do go back through our back catalogue and check out the many wonderful interviews we have with wonderful people from the financial markets. Thank you and best of luck going forward.